Hallöchen. What? That, that's hello in German. Say it again. We're talking about translation, right? Hallöchen. I lived, like, amongst Germans for two years. I literally never heard that. Hallöchen, Popischen. I feel like, I think you're just making this up. Mm-mm. Let me just look this up. I think it's slang. Damn. <laughs> yeah, I can't find for it. Everyone, for everyone who's listening to this, what Ben just said was, I can't find it, but I think it's slang. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're listening to this episode and you are German, please write us in and tell me if I'm right or wrong. Anyway, you are listening to Linear Digressions. So, my potentially very bad, schlecht, Deutsch, German aside, what are we talking about today? Well, we're talking about machine translation. That's why you're, you're doing all these silly games with, with languages. Do you speak any languages other than English? Oh, I speak German. <laughs> Although, no, I, do speak, I do speak a little bit of German. I know, I know certain words, like schlafmütze is sleepyhead, but I don't know how to conjugate basic verbs. And, oh, you know. yeah. Okay. So, I'm the same way with French. Yeah. And uh, I know a little bit of Spanish. Mm-hmm. But I, I learned how to program my TI-83 Plus calculator in Spanish class, so I don't know Spanish very well. Why, I know, did, you, why did you learn that in Spanish class? Because I wasn't paying attention. Oh. I, was like, <laughs> I also know JavaScript. JavaScript is not an English language. It's a computer language. <sighs> so, okay, I am probably the worst co-host for this no, no, particular it's, episode. No, no, it's fine. Um, yeah, so what we're going to be talking about today is a little project that they did over at Google to write a machine translation system that goes between Yiddish and English. Yiddish and English, huh? Yes. And the reason that I like this, machine translation is one of these sort of classics of machine learning, and, and it has literature going all the way back to the 70s, using sort of like statistics effectively to do translation from one language to another. But Yiddish has all kinds of stuff about it that makes it hard. And so in reading this paper, you kind of unpack some of the, the little assumptions that you make sometimes, and then all the little tricks that you can do to try to wiggle your way around some of the roadblocks. And the paper was in English, right? Yes, okay, very okay. much so. Neither of us know Yiddish. Except they have some sample passages at the end uh, that actually show you what their translator does. So those are kind of fun to read, and Ooh. some of those are in, in Hebrew or Yiddish or, or whatever. Let's start with the beginning. Uh, do, what do you know about Yiddish as a language? I don't know much, but I, I know that there are a lot of slang-y words. Like, is it actually a language language? Yes. So it is an official language, but, but I have known some people who use Yiddish phrases throughout their English sentences. Sure. Are there any particular like parts of the world that you th- associate with Yiddish or other languages or groups of people? Well, my father's side is Jewish. That's where I've heard a lot of it. Yeah, that's that's basically correct, I guess. Um, it's associated with the Ashkenazi Jews in particular, okay. um, who mostly live in or lived in Eastern Europe. Okay. So it's actually the very interesting amalgam of Hebrew, German, and some bits of Slavic, especially Polish and, and a little bit of Russian. So one of the things that you mentioned, though, is... I think very insightful, but you might not have realized it, which is that you hear people speaking it a lot. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen a Yiddish word written? 
come to think of it, I don't think I ever have. Yeah, it's a... I, like, I don't know how to spell any of those words. Right. It's a very... Um, so it's written in the... Um, mostly in the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, with some adaptations. Mm-hmm. Um, so you and I that were used to seeing the Latin letters, and so we wouldn't know it in its like original form, but there are some like transliterations that they actually spell it out phonetically. But actually, what, what I was getting at with this is that one of the things that makes Yiddish kind of hard to translate is that it's much more characteristically spoken than it is written. Mm. And so one of the things that you need when you're building a machine translation system, one of the things that really helps is if you have a large corpus of just written material in that language. And this is actually quite limited for Yiddish because most of the people who speak Yiddish speak another language besides, and they use that for their official writing. And the mm. Yiddish is just something that they that they speak amongst themselves. Ah, I see. So if there was a corpus, it would be more likely to be a bunch of audio clips of people speaking rather than uh, text. But of course, you probably don't go around recording people all the time. And you know, that's difficult. Right. That's one of the challenges, actually, of of writing a Yiddish to English translator is actually just finding a, a decent sized corpus of Yiddish stuff. And this is one of the things that they sort of unpacked in their paper. Um, for other languages, just as a point of contrast, one of the first big uh, efforts to do machine translation, statistical machine translation, was English to French. And the way that they did that was with Canadian parliamentary proceedings, which are oh, done no bilingual. And so That's then really it's, cool. Yeah, so then it's really easy. It's close to a labeled data set. Right, you a have your answer. A labeled data set. Right. So with Yiddish, you have, you have no such luxuries. I see. So we've set up the problem quite nicely. How do you... How, how do you get a labeled data set, basically? Because you ultimately need it, right? You need some kind of a labeled-ish data set in order to build something that can take in input that it hasn't seen before. Yeah, so if you were Google, mm-hmm. like the folks who did this, where would you start? Well, I would look to perhaps the biggest source of information possible, which is the internet. That is a very smart place to start. Mm -hmm. But it's also a very vague answer. Right. And one of the things that makes this difficult is a lot of the Yiddish that's on the internet is in the form of things like scanned religious documents and PDFs. So you have to run like a character recognition on that to get the, the characters back out. And then one of the things that can be difficult is you, you look, you're basically looking at a piece of paper with a bunch of Hebrew characters on it. You have to figure out if this is Yiddish or not, or it might just be Hebrew. Right? Oh, I see. So, so you can't just tell by looking at it necessarily right away. Not in general. There are some sort of signifiers, but those don't always show up, or they might not be picked up by your character recognition. I see. So, so a, human, a human who spoke Yiddish and read Yiddish could do this, but a machine would have a really hard time of that. Right. And so what they ended up having was a, a, a training set that they made for themselves that was just pure Yiddish. And it teaches you from that, you can get sort of an idea of what the vocabulary looks like and things. But it was pretty noisy. It had a fair amount of Hebrew mixed in. Mm-hmm. And that isn't always a problem. Like there's usually um, very direct translations between Yiddish and Hebrew, but it does mean that, you know, you're sort of open to errors that you might not be open to otherwise. Mm-hmm. The other thing that they did that I think helped a lot was they actually just bought some dictionaries. And usually you don't use dictionaries in statistical machine translation. Like it's just a lookup table for words. Yeah. Um, but then if, if you do have those, it's like it is just the correct answer. So that helped their model a lot too. Mm-hmm. And the next thing that they do is you, so you have all these words that are in Yiddish. Sometimes the spelling though can be irregular. Mm. That, that's, yeah, that popped into my mind too. If you have a language that's very often spoken and not as often written down, 
then clearly different people would spell things slightly differently. I mean, we have that with British versus American English. Yeah, yeah. And this was a problem that they had as well. And so they, they there's some algorithms that basically do a transliteration that take the characters and, and make the phonemes, like the, the sounds that they mm. make. And they say, what does this sound like if you were to just pronounce it? And then from that, we can, you know, sort of spell out those sounds in English or something like that. That's crazy. That's a, this is a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and, and that is, I think, works pretty well, although it occasionally has kind of hilarious errors. Like they said that it um, would spell Clinton with a K. <laughs> like Bill Clinton. Right, Clinton. right. <laughs> That's crazy. And the, the cool thing, the, the crazy thing about machine learning is you can't just go into the program and search for Clinton with a K and find the line of code that's messing that up. It just it doesn't work like that because the code is not generated by a person. It's not it's Yeah, not like it, doesn't, it doesn't understand. I once heard this story. I don't know if this is actually true, but we'll pretend that it's true. That <laughs> for a while, the French-English Google Translate was translating... Uh, Obama, if they translated it into French, would translate it as Sarkozy. Because they would always see it after the word <laughs> oh, president. <no. laughs> anyway, so moving on. The next thing they did was they used what's called a bridging language. Okay, what, so uh, what's a bridging language? Yeah, so let me, I came up with an example for this. You've heard of Lewis and Clark, right? Yeah. Okay, and so they had Sacagawea, and she was like this Native American woman who accompanied them. She was married to this French trapper named Charbonneau. Okay. So she speaks all these Indian languages. Uh-huh. And so Lewis and Clark need to be able to talk to the Indians. She speaks Shoshone and Hidatsa. Charbonneau, her husband, speaks Hidatsa and French. Oh, I see. So a bridge language would be, in, this, in, in their in this, case... In this case would be Hidatsa, French. Yeah, Hidatsa and French. I see. So they would go through two languages in their, in their process of translation based on what they individually knew how to translate. Right. And so you get this sort of like a telephone game. Of course, and, and telephone sometimes doesn't work out so well, you know, well, because yeah, but if, if you're going through these these lossy processes. These oh, yeah, processes, I mean, it totally introduces noise. Yeah, um, but it, it works. Right. So what was the bridge? What was the bridging language in this process? Um, so they used uh, Hebrew English, German English, and Polish Yiddish. So they did like Yiddish to German, German to English, and Yiddish to Hebrew, Hebrew to English, because those... Those bonds are much stronger than the Yiddish to English, like in terms of like, for example, the samples that use the same words, for example. And so then they would use those bridges to create stronger bonds and train their data set. Even yeah, further. like if they would get something that they would they would try to translate it into Yiddish, but maybe they didn't have a word for it or, um, you know, maybe they had one, but it, you know, kind of had low confidence or something. Then they would go try to look it up in, say, like the Yiddish to Hebrew dictionary. And if they see a word there in Hebrew, then they take like a Hebrew to English and they just use that translation instead. I see. That's really cool. Yeah. So anyway, that's what a a bridging language is. And I mean, one thing I should add is that we have the great luxury as being native English speakers of speaking sort of like the universal bridge language. Mm, So if you need to go from Afrikaans to Japanese, right? Like there's not going to be a strong link there, but they both go to English. I see. Um, so that is, a, you know, just like the dollar is like the international unit of currency in the world right now. English is the international bridging language, which is kind of nice. That means everything makes it into English and then we can read it. Woohoo! Go very us, I guess. <laughs> Linear Digressions is a podcast about data science and machine learning produced and recorded in the studios of Udacity. 
a company dedicated to education. We've got some awesome courses made by people like Katie and me in data science and other tech fields. We should also remind you that all views expressed during this program were those of the speakers and not of Udacity. This is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you don't mind, leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you next time.